Welcome to Sense by Meg Forer, the podcast that's brought to you by ParentSense, the app that takes guesswork out of parenting. If you're a new parent, then you are in good company. Your host, Meg Forer, is a well-known OT, infant specialist, and the author of eight parenting books. Each week, we're going to spend time with new mums and dads, just like you, to chat about the week's wins, the challenges, and the questions of the moment. Subscribe to the podcast, download the ParentSense app, and catch Make Here every week to make the most of that first year of your little one's life. And now, meet your host. Welcome back, everyone. I'm Meg Fora. As usual, I'm with you every week chatting to new mums generally, and we talk about the highs and lows of parenting. So those things that keep you awake at night, other than the fact that your baby's waking you, and the things that worry you, as well as the joys and the delights that come along with having a newborn baby. Now, over the last four and a half months, we've actually been tracking the life of Max. And Max was born and had a little bit of a tricky start. If you haven't heard that episode, it's episode two. Go and listen to that. And he is really a thriving, gorgeous, Bonnie boy, who is now, Cass, how old is Max this week? It's his birthday. He's five months old today. Oh my word. Can you believe he's been in your life for five months? In some ways, it feels like he's been in my life forever. And Mm. in some ways, it feels like the time's gone so quickly. Yeah. It's crazy. I still always hold on to, I'm not sure if I've said it on the podcast, but a friend of mine said, the days are long and the years are short. Mm. And I can, the more time goes on, the more that sentence makes sense to me. Yeah. And you know, it's such a conundrum because in that process, there's days when you're wishing it all away because it's really, really hard and the days are really long. So by four o'clock in the afternoon, when you're waiting for Alex to come home from work, it's like, just get this day over. I'm done now. (laughs) And then there's the conundrum of, you know, wanting him to be little for longer and wanting him to, to, you know, to be as gorgeous and cuddly and small as he is now and not a a raging two-year-old or a a robot (laughs) 15-year-old. It's actually, it's funny. I felt that more than ever this last week because as we were talking about last week we were in England and my sister-in-law had a baby in December so her baby's only about eight weeks old and I held my niece and I was just suddenly so overwhelmed with how quickly Mm. time has gone and how and I was just like oh my gosh I want a newborn again (laughs) she was so tiny and you know Max is a very robust. I mean, when we were traveling, I think a lot of people looked at him and thought we were joking when we said he was five months old because he's quite, you know, he holds his head up. He's very strong. He sits Mm -hmm. up. He's very engaged. I don't know what the benchmark is for five months olds, that's all I've got Mm. to go on. But, you know, it it was amazing how it suddenly became so real, how fast that time has gone since he Mm. was that little newborn at eight weeks or eight weeks old. Mm. It was a real shock moment, actually, that I hadn't Mm. quite appreciated. Yeah, no, it's so true. So you speak about him being really robust and sitting. And I mean, it might be quite a nice thing for us to just have a look at what milestones he's been doing in the last week or so and what what you've noticed for him. Yeah. So but, well, two things. One, I wanted to actually talk to you about the milestones area on the app. But so I'll come on to that. But the in terms of this week, I, traveling with him has been, I was a bit apprehensive because I didn't know what to expect and how well he would travel and that sort of thing. But it's actually been the best thing. It's almost forced us into situations that allowed him to show how capable he is mm. because I think. 
previously you sort of say, okay, well, he, he can't do that or he won't like that. Or, you know, mm-hmm. you kind of make assumptions of mm-hmm. the situations that he'll cope or won't cope in, you know, and I've always put him in the pram being like, right, I better take him for a walk, for example, you know, now and for his pram, you know, and usually that is because I want to go for a walk. But it, when we were away, there were situations where it was coming up to his sleep time and I was at a lunch with a friend I hadn't seen for three years or something mm, like yeah. that. And I can't just sort of say, sorry, I'm gonna have to go for a half an hour walk because my baby needs to sleep in the pram. So I found myself having to put him in the pram and kind of just in my head thinking, oh, this is gonna, I don't know what's going to happen here. Mm. And the next thing I knew he was fast asleep. He'd mm. put himself to sleep. I'd given him the dummy. I'd put the hood down and I'd given a little rock. And obviously I'd watched the awake times mm-hmm. very carefully. And mm-hmm. I, ha- I have to say more than ever, I understand awake times having done the traveling Mm -hmm. because it does make your life so much easier if you can get those right, because he would just put himself to sleep. And there were so many things that we've come away. I feel whether it is because he was in situations that we wouldn't have put him in otherwise, or he has just suddenly grown up Mm. in the last two weeks, I don't know, but it seems a bit coincidental, but it's while we were away. He seems so much more grown up now and mm. so much more capable, you know, and, and just, I find myself even saying the sentence, oh yes, when he was a baby and people are like, he's still he's a baby. A baby. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel like he's not anymore. He's, he's not he's becoming yeah. a little boy. Yeah. He's not an infant. He's now a baby. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's really interesting. You know, it's so interesting that you say you would just put him in the pram, you know, cover it down and he'd just fall asleep. You know, I think that babies actually, given the opportunity, would surprise parents more than we realize. Mm. And I think what happens is that we feel like we have to support them all the way to sleep, you know, either rocking in the pram or, you know, feeding to to sleep or whatever it is, or shushing or carrying or rocking in our arms. And so we end up, and particularly at this age, Cass, we end up falling into the trap of, of doing that, which actually, as we know, this is the age where habits are formed. Before now, it wasn't really an issue, but now this is it. An American researcher, Anders, actually kind of coined the term self-soothing. The, in the research he did, which was very interesting research, where he had cameras over cribs to see um, how much babies woke at night. Um, he found that all babies woke, but some babies were signalers, some babies were, you know, were self soothers. The ones who were self-soothers were the ones who were doing it themselves at at sleep onset. It puts a lot of pressure on mums because then we feel like, oh my goodness, we've got to have our little ones self-soothing and this is the critical age, five to seven months, and how are we going to do it? But the reality is, is actually just giving them the opportunity to do what you did with Max is actually really important. Now, that doesn't mean he's going to get it right 10 out of 10. He might only get it right four out of 10 at the moment, you know, but give him the opportunity, put him down, walk out the room and give him the opportunity and then only go back if he's effing and butting and crying, you know, more than effing and butting. Effing and butting is that kind of mm, 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 mm. leave him alone for that. And this is the age where, and in fact, that particular research from Anders, I was just reading it again this week, um, showed that if you just do that, so you do support them, you do put them to sleep if you need to, but if you just give them the opportunity every single sleep, and then if they don't get it right, go in and respond, those babies start to get it right. And that's really what he was showing to you that he can do it. He can go into a pram, covered up and he can fall asleep. Yeah. And I think, you know, I've worked, we've worked really hard on the cot environment and Mm. I know that I can just put him in his cot. I put the white noise on, I put him in his sleeping bag. He's given his comforter, the certain criteria, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but in his bedroom, in his cot, I knew he was capable of that, Mm. but I never thought he didn't have a sleeping bag. He didn't have his comforter. All he had was the pram and the dummy. And Mm. I just had never thought 
that he'd do the same yeah. in his pram as he'd learned yeah. to do in his cot. But you see, now that's the beauty of setting up something consistently in the perfect space, because when you're not in the perfect space, they can actually um, transfer it over. And a story I've often told is when I were, when we had very young children, so we had James was four and Alex, my, do- my middle child was two. My, my third child wasn't born yet. We decided to do a trip around the world. We took, we sold our house, we gave up our jobs and we just went. And people said, you guys are completely mad to do a trip with a, a two-year-old. Like, like, who would do this? But the absolutely incredible thing was, it was it was no matter where we were, if I put Alex into the pram and covered the front of it, so she was two and we had a stroller, covered the front of it at 12 o'clock every single day of that entire trip without fail, and we traveled and we traveled and we traveled, she would have a midday sleep at 12 o'clock. I mean, I'll never forget the one day we had, we'd actually been traveling through Namibia, which is, you're, you're familiar with Namibia, and it is probably one of the most beautiful countries in the world. Grand open spaces. The kids were in the car a lot because we traveled all the way from the south, Nyasusus um, all the way up to Itasha Pan. And so we had these extensive kind of distances, but her routine was kept all the way. But we were in a car, so she was falling asleep in the car. So I thought, okay, well, that's obvious. Anyway, we flew from Vintuk in the middle of this wild African landscape straight into New York City. And the first day, completely jet lagged, we're walking around at 12 o'clock noon at Times Square. And she's in the prime at Times Square at this point. And I had actually just switched into awake times, which is exactly what you must do when you're traveling because there's no way that you can get, especially if you're transferring time zones, you can't get it right any other way. And so 12 o'clock after X number of hours of awake time, I put in the pram in Times Square with bright lights, like complete contrast to that African savanna through the through the blanket over the front of the pram. And within three minutes, she was asleep. And that's mm-hmm. the beauty of having really rigid routines for little ones. It frees you up, you know, and she mm-hmm. did that no matter where we went around the world. You know, she, she did that midday sleep. So what you've experienced is actually what I experienced as well was, you know, having set up the stage very early on. You're then able to be much more flexible when you do things like travel. You are, but it does lead me on to a question because he can now go to sleep either being walked in the pram or put in the pram or whatever, and in the cot he goes to sleep. In the pram, when he put, it puts himself to sleep or is walked to sleep, he will easily do a two-hour sleep. Mm-hmm. In the cot, mm-hmm. 45 he minutes. will not do more than 45 okay. minutes. <laughs> yes. Why, Meg? <laughs> All right. So this is probably one of the other most common questions at this age. Exactly. All right. So what is going to happen, and we're going to work on this, Cass, over the next couple of weeks, is that we only want one of his day sleeps to actually be linked, and that's his midday sleep. So in an ideal world, he'll do 45 minutes in the morning. So, so in a month's time, this is your and my goal. We're going to have 45 minutes in the morning at around about 9, 9, 30, approximately, depending on what time you work in the morning. We're then going to have a 12 o'clock, one and a half hour sleep from 12 until 1.30. And then we're going to have another nap in the afternoon of about 45 minutes. So that's where we're heading. And that will happen at around six months. And there are a couple of things that will lead us there. And, and I'm going to guide you and you can, you know, over the next few weeks, work on this and we'll see when, we, when it starts to fall into place. The first thing is, is that he needs to be on three solid meals a day. Now, we're going to talk about his weaning just now because I'm dying to hear how that journey has gone because he just started when you went off on the trip. But for now, you're going to be on three solid meals within the next month. So by six months old, babies must be on three solid meals. 
the midday meal must have really nice protein and fats in it. So it'll be like a chicken or a fish or an egg or a nut butter. There'll be, you know, the nice proteins in that meal. And as he finishes off that solid meal, we're going to give him a little top-up bottle, which won't be time for it actually, or breastfeed. I know that you're bottle feeding now. So a little top-up bottle feed just after that meal. And it won't be time for that feed. But what we do is we're going to get their tummies really nice and full. We're going to give them a little bit of tryptophan, which is what is naturally occurring in milk. We're going to give them all the lovely kind of fatty acids that are needed for for sleep and, and proteins and so on. And there's an Afrikaans saying, I come from South Africa, and there's an Afrikaans saying, which is, magis full, urgis too, which basically means when your tummy's full, your eyes will close. That's what we're going to do. I know do. that we, feeling. <laughs> yes, we do, we do. So that's the first thing we're going to do. We get, we're going to rely on food to actually help. And when I say a little feed, I'm not saying bottle feed, I'm not saying feed to sleep. I'm just saying a little bit of milk. We're then going to put him down and that's the only sleep of the day that we will make similar to the nighttime sleep. In other words, we will have the room pitch dark, which we do for other sleeps, but sleeping bag on, white noise on. So that's the sleep that we're going to do that for. The other, other sleeps will be naps, so they won't be as differentiated from the night. And then we're going to, if he wakes after 45 minutes, we're going to go in and we're going to hold him, pop his dummy back in and contain him until he falls back asleep. And he will start to do that. So you can start to work on it now, but he's very unlikely to do it until he's on full solid. So um, at this stage, I wouldn't be stressing it. You can do the little bit that I said, which is differentiate that midday sleep and try the shushing and patting to try and get him back to sleep. But they very often won't do it until they're on full solids. Okay. Yeah, because at the moment he... And this kind of then leads on to another question. And this probably happened more when we were away than it would happen now. But, you know, life happens. Mm. And sometimes he would have a long sleep or, or just he would happen to wake up, say, at three o'clock. Mm. And so his two hours of wake time means that then he should five. be going down at five, which Problem. is too early for bed. Mm. And there was one day and I, there's so many times now where I'll be with my husband and say, I'm going to talk to Meg about this <laughs> throughout <laughs> the, the week. And I make a quick note because we were walking around, we were staying in London and we were walking around trying to get him to sleep at about quarter to five, because I thought I just need him to have almost if he has just 15 minutes, yes. because then we can get, he might have a later bed time but at least we can get him he to sleep. Be miserable yeah but he wasn't interested yeah. <laughs> he'd had quite a stimulating day we'd been mm. out for lunch he'd had a long sleep but mm. he'd met lots of new people he'd been mm. in a really really cool pub in Chelsea <laughs> <laughs> so he just wasn't interested in sleeping eventually I could see he was starting to get tired but now we're at about quarter past five mm. and I just, it's just really didn't know what do yeah. I do in that situation because we're now past awake window even if he does 15 minutes we're then looking at a much later but I just didn't know how to manage that situation so I mm. turned to my husband and I said I'm going to talk to Meg about this. <laughs> this episode is brought to us by Parent Sense, the all-in-one baby and parenting app that helps you make the most of your baby's first year. Don't you wish someone would just tell you everything you need to know about caring for your baby? When to feed them, how to wean them, and why they won't sleep? ParentSense app is like having a baby expert on your phone guiding you to parent with confidence. Get a flexible routine, daily tips, and advice personalized for you and your little one. Download ParentSense app now from your app store and take the guesswork out of parenting. 
it is the conundrum and it happens when awake windows actually don't allow you to fit in that last nap of the day. Mm. So first of all, your response of doing a 15 minute cat nap is exactly what I would have recommended. So if he wakes at three and you're going to put him down at, I mean, you've got two options really, but an option of putting him down at seven and letting him have a cat nap at five, which will, which will give him an hour and 45 minutes awake time until seven o'clock. So it'll work. Not ideal for him because he might fight sleep a little bit at seven. The other option is that if he gets to quarter past five, for instance, and hasn't gone down, is to bring bedtime forward to six which will give him a three-hour wake time, which is a little longer than he'd be okay with, but that's what happens. So it's kind of juggling that awake time between one, one hour 45 and three hours, depending on whether or not he'll actually take that catnap. But that catnap, when that starts to happen to moms, and this, by the way, happens at this age, but it'll happen again at nine months old quite significantly because at nine months old, what'll happen is that he'll be having three sleeps but he won't quite be able to fit in that last sleep of the day. And so then it's kind of between two sleeps and three sleeps. And you and I will be talking about this exactly then. And what my recommendation is, is to put him into a pram or a carrier, however he falls asleep most easily and go for a walk with the dogs or go for a walk around the block or whatever it is to hopefully get him to sleep. And don't worry about trying to put him to sleep in his cot at that time. So in that, in other words, at that time, you use any crutch to get him to sleep at five because he's not really drowsy enough, but you and you want him only to have 15 minutes. And then the minute you get home from your walk, pick him up, get him going. He'll be a little bit grumpy for five, 10 minutes. And then he'll, but he'll go back to sleep properly at bedtime by seven o'clock. Okay. Yeah. Cause I wasn't sure if trying to squeeze in that yeah, nap no, was you, the you did, Okay, yeah. good. You did the right thing. You squeeze in that nap. If it's, if you can do it and it's, you know, so, so if the awake time is two hours and now the wake time is going to be one hour 45, squeeze it in. Mm -hmm. But if the wake time is, is two hours and now it's going to be an hour's awake time, don't do it. It's you're yeah. not going to get him back to sleep at seven o'clock for sure. Yeah. We, we sort of decided we would just, we, and we had the flexibility mm -hmm. to just push out bedtime a little bit. Yeah. I mean, but his you gave him a little nap and then you let him go to sleep a little later. Yeah. I mean, his bed, he went to bed at 10 o'clock the other night because we were on the ferry and it came in late and, yeah, you know, and, it and so it's just, but yeah. last night he did the most amazing sleep. He oh, slept till boy. two from se seven till two, did his feed and then he slept till 7.30. Oh my word. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. So at five yeah. months old, that is like textbook. That's exactly what we want, you know, especially being that he's not really on solids properly yet. So, I mean, yeah. do you want to talk about your solids journey? Because that's also been a, an, <laughs> I mean, a juggle with traveling. I will, I will say solids has possibly been a fail. <laughs> so there were, there were two factors that came in. I think we spoke a couple of weeks ago, he was, had a very upset tummy and he wasn't doing very well. And I didn't know because we'd started him on solids quite early. I wasn't sure. Is it that the solids are causing a problem because it was around a similar time? He started sicking up quite a lot. And I also stopped the zooped up formula that he was on. And mm. 24 hours after that, he, he settled it's down. settled, yes. I do think it was the formula, but mm. now we are on the day that we're going off traveling and I'd stopped solids for two days and I just... <laughs> I think it was the wrong decision because I think you're supposed to, once you start solids, remain pretty consistent. I don't know. But, but let's talk about that when you've yeah. done, yeah? So he, for the whole time we've been traveling, he hasn't, he's just been on his milk. So we are due to start in a very consistent, we're not going anywhere, we're not doing mm. anything. We're going to start again mm. being very consistent 
and start again from solids. Okay, excellent. Well, you bring up a couple of things. First of all, it's a question mark that lots of mums have. If I've started solids, is it a train smash if I stop solids in the early days? And the answer is absolutely no problem at all. And in actual fact, lots of babies will start on solids because their parents feel they're ready, let's say at four months. And then the mums just realize that they really aren't ready. And so then they wait, turn it off and take it up again in three weeks time when they're little, little ones, five five months, one week, and that's absolutely perfect. So the first thing is, and, and I think the very important principle, and you know, you should always be, your decision-making in parenting in, in life should always be principle-based. And the principle around solids between four and six months of age is not for specifically for nutritional reasons. It's for exposure and experimentation. And it's just for them to really take in the new flavors at a time when their taste buds are very receptive to new flavors. So so the first thing is that if that experimentation means that some days solids happens and some days solids doesn't happen, that's absolutely okay. You know, so it's like he doesn't get a walk out in the fresh air every single day or whatever it is, you know, and that doesn't affect his visual development. So solids are the same. So don't freak out about it. The fact that you stopped and probably at a time when you're traveling was pretty sensible, I would reckon. Okay. The next thing I do want to chat about, and this is really interesting, Cass, and I actually have just recorded an incredible podcast on weaning. It, it will already be up by the time that this um, that our podcast actually flights. So moms must go back and have a look. It's the one with Kath McGaw. And we started to talk about what should babies be weaned onto. And you and I had had a conversation around what you'd chosen to wean them onto. And you had read somewhere that you must introduce little ones onto more bitter foods like your green flowery vegetables like broccoli and so on, because otherwise we're going to wire them for sweet tests. And so I brought this up with Kath because I wanted to understand what it's all about. And it turns out that this has been researched actually quite extensively. And what they found is that the bitter sweet bud, a taste bud, does not develop until after a baby's a year old. And so that's part of the reason why we introduce solids fairly early because we want them. It's, it's a good time in terms of receptiveness. And I can tell you now that when Max is 14 months old, he's going to be more of a picky eater because that's what happens. Mm-hmm. Toddlers become more picky as this taste bud comes in. So at this age, it truly doesn't matter if you introduce sweet or, or bitter at all. So Kath and I have always recommended the starchy vegetables to start with. So things like uh, butternut, sweet potato, zucchini, pumpkin. And my suggestion to you, is that maybe you go in that direction now, as opposed to going in the bitter veggies direction. There's a couple of reasons for that, but one is that they're a little bit more gentle on the tummy as well. You know, they're they're less likely to create kind of gassy feelings and so on. So they just are more gentle. So that's why if you go according to the app, and so if you you maybe, Mm. um, you can actually switch off your solids I have done, yeah. Good. Okay, switch it off. And it'll start you again. And what's really fascinating, Cass, is in the app, in the Parent Sense app, if you started solids and flicked the switch at four months, he would have had a very different journey to what you'll experience when you're flicking it at at five months. So when you flicked it at four months at the time, you would have seen that there was one solid meal a day for quite a period of time because we go slowly and the introduction of new variety is slower. Whereas now that he's five months, you're going to have a more accelerated version. And that's so that you get in more flavors and prevent allergies more efficiently with this weaning plan. So the weaning plan has an algorithm that's very specific to how quickly solids need to be introduced. So that's what I would do. I would go ahead now, starting this week, flick it across and actually see following the app how it works for you. And obviously make up quite big batches because what you'll find is that there's quite a bit of repetition in the first few weeks. Yeah. And I've already got in the freezer some ice cube some frozen bits mm. of bits and bobs. And I know Brilliant. in the 
app, there was a couple that, you know, are mixed green vegetables with some avocado, for example. So, you know, I can, because I've got some of those green vegetables, that would be quite an easy one to kind of make up. It exactly will. And um, and what you'll find on the avocado side, you won't have frozen that. So that's no. just for mums to realize that you'll be you'll be taking the dark the green the green veggies and then adding in the avo fresh. So yeah, that's perfect. Yeah. So I'm excited to see his journey from here, but spot on, starting yeah. again. Yeah. And the other thing I found interesting when traveling, and I think you mentioned before we went to grab a banana or an avocado, because at his age, I didn't feel ever comfortable because there were some times when we were in a restaurant and I thought, oh, well, I could just ask them if they can just mash up some avocado. Mm. Or, but I just never felt comfortable that they wouldn't add anything. You know, I just, maybe it's a control freak thing, yeah. but I just thought, I don't know what's going on in that kitchen and what, you know, it's very difficult for a chef to completely resist adding a little bit of flavor here or a little bit of salt and pepper or something yeah. like that. Yeah. And there was obviously, he's not at the stage where any of the, mm. I don't know if it's because he looks older, but every waitress always, or waiter always asked us, would you like the children's menu? I was like, absolutely not. <laughs> You're not That's hysterical. I was like, no, no thank you. five months, I'll be on the milk. Thanks very much. Uh, that's very I don't funny. know. Maybe he does look a lot older or they've yeah. just never had children. I don't yeah. know. Yeah. That's very <laughs> but, funny. Yeah. Yeah. So, but just going back to that milestone piece while we're talking about the app. So mm. because I was on it looking at the solids piece and I suddenly realized some of them, I just wasn't sure if he had reached that version of the milestone, because I feel like some yeah. milestones, there are stepping stones of, of that. So mm. for example... So I'm just the, going to guide people. If you've got your oh, app yes. in front of you, your Parents Sense app, you're going to click on the pink um, widget called Play, and then you're going to click on Milestones. And there you can record your little one's milestones as well as have suggested windows for those milestones. Mm. And, and I think those suggested windows are some of the things. So for example, pushing up on arms. Mm-hmm. He has been on tummy times, you know, pushing and being on his forearms for mm-hmm. quite a while. Yes. But the pushing up, is that pushing up on his hands? Is that how, yeah, yeah. what is that? If you enjoy my podcast, I would like to share one of my favorite podcasts with you, The Honest Hour. Christina Mazurik is mom to two boys and a third little boy on the way. She's an American expat living in Cape Town, South Africa since 2008 and decided to start sharing her experiences in parenting since 2017. Having grown up in a dysfunctional family environment in her own childhood, which led to her adoption at the age of 10, Christina is passionate about finding purpose and presence in parenting, as well as exploring our own opportunity for healing and personal growth as we navigate the world of parenting our own children. Christina believes in ending the trauma cycle and that in parenting our own children, we can learn how to reparent ourselves. So pop on over to Christina's podcast, The Honest Hour. So if you have a look at the suggested milestone for that, it's 17 weeks to 24 weeks. So that is four to six months. Mm. By four months, all babies should be pushing up on forearms. So, mm. and he has been doing that. Some, some actually start a little bit before that if they've if they've got quite good extension, which I know he does. So he potentially actually started that a little earlier. Twenty four weeks is obviously six months, and that is would mean full arms all the way up. So pushing all the way up. So between now and twenty four months, he'll be all the way up. But I think you, I think you're right. I think it could be confusing that for mums, and maybe we add in another milestone, push up to up onto forearms, and then push up onto extended arms because extended arms does happen closer to six months of age. 
And so that's on his hands. On his hands, yeah. yeah. And that's an interesting milestone because that's actually a pre-rolling milestone because that's often how they actually start to roll is they pushed up either onto forearms or onto extended arms. And then there's a toy in front of them that's super interesting. And they reach for that toy and then they flip over because they've ended up, you know, kind of that they're all slightly off balance and then roll over. He and, and just on the rolling, there was a time where we would put him down and he was on his tummy straight away. He was almost slightly obsessive with rolling. And we've mentioned before that they then go through a period where they kind of almost like they forget mm-hmm. about doing that milestone. Mm-hmm. He, it's not that he's forgotten because every now and again, he'll do it mm-hmm. now. I mean, it's we're just talking, that he's not practicing it all the time. He's just not practicing. So should I be doing more tummy time again? Because he's not, I sort of became less focused mm. on tummy time because he was putting himself in his mm. tummy. So mm. do we need to be doing concentrated tummy time now no. if he's not rolling as much? No. So that's exactly what little ones do. They they do, once they learn a milestone, they obsessively go through that milestone for like almost, and, it's, and you'll see it when he learns to say a word. It's no, 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 no. You know, it'll be, it'll be obsessive around oh. it. And then, <laughs> and then they forget it, which is competition of milestones. And then they remember it, but they've consolidated to a point where they'll use it if they need to, but not all the time. So, okay. so that's perfect. In terms of does he need tummy time, right? Now, the answer is yes, he still needs floor time. So at this point, you can start to call it floor time. And the important principle is whenever you are somewhere that you can, take him out of the pram and put him on the floor, either on his mm. tummy or his back. It really doesn't matter. You know, obviously, when, you, when you're traveling around London and you're in restaurants, you're just going to keep him in his, his pram. You, you can't put him on the floor. But if you do carry a mat with you at the bottom of your pram, to actually pop it on the floor immediately and let him be on the floor is a better principle because then he will actually be practicing his rolling and his crawling and mm. so on. Yeah, we have a playmat which we took with us. And if he had been out in the pram, for mm-hmm. example, when we got back to the hotel, mm-hmm. it was making sure he had that floor time. Brilliant. But the playmat, I mean, it's a great playmat and he loves it because it's got a foot piano at the end. Mm-hmm. But it, the way it's designed, it's actually quite difficult for him to roll. So what I've started doing is getting one of those giant muslins mm. and we've got a sensory one that's got all different colors and shapes on it and that sort of thing and putting his toys around him and putting him on that so Perfect. that he's got more yeah. space to roll because the mat is great but I wondered if that was another reason he wasn't rolling yeah, some of the fancier mats are not great they're just you know you actually <laughs> the best thing is just like a really basic mat you know and you can make it yourself or get somebody to make it for you or you can buy them I could just or just use a blanket like you've yeah. said a muslin it's, it's a really good idea yeah. And then the final one on the milestones is the babble. <laughs> what exactly is it? Because he makes a lot of noise, Yeah, but I don't know what a babble exactly so- the babbling, I mean, he, I mean, he could start to babble within the next couple of weeks. He's probably not babbling yet, but it'll be like kind of linking sounds together, like that's that sort of babbling. So he's putting together cons- a consonant with a, a vowel is babbling. Okay. So he'll do that within. He'll he'll do that, and and the, the app as the app says, it's between twenty one and thirty weeks, and he's he's about twenty two weeks old. I yeah, think. yeah. So he'll start doing that within the next couple of weeks of linking an a, a vowel with a const- consonant instead of what they're doing at this age is often like more like ooh and ah. Ah and cooing. So, so you've got the cooing mm. stage, which is more, you know, vowels together, you know, like, ah, ooh, you know, that sort of thing. And then they go, ma, ma, and then, you know, start to link mama, baba, you know, like that sort of thing. Okay. So that's babbling. Yeah. He's certainly in the last couple of weeks decided he loves 
the high pitched noises that he can make. Yes, yes. <laughs> and shouting. They often at this stage start to really seek out proprioception, which is pressure on your body. And they do it in two ways. One is with squeals and forced sounds. So like, like, like you know, that like kind of yeah. like pushing sounds against their chest box or, the, or their voice box. And, and also like very, very stiff movements, like strong extension of their arms and their legs and kind of arching and and what they're doing is they're getting just lots of proprioceptive feedback from their bodies and in fact i've had a couple of moms who in the last few weeks have sent me videos of their babies doing this and saying oh, is this developmentally something wrong like 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 this looks like autism and of course it absolutely isn't because it's a developmental stage that their typical baby's going through where they're just forcing movements and forcing or really seeking stimulation from their proprioceptive system which by the way is what autistic old, old autistic children do but at that age it's not appropriate at this age it's 100 appropriate they're just really seeking out that you know kind of forcing that voice forcing those arms and legs straight um arching their backs you know kind of doing those stiff movements so that they can really you know kind of get you know get all that feedback back from their bodies yeah, I'm glad actually to hear about that noise you were saying because mm. it does sound sometimes like he's frustrated or mm. in pain mm-hmm. or and you think, oh gosh, so he do, he mm. does that noise and then this really loud shouting and high-pitched squeal, which <laughs> we, if we're alone, it's fine. But when you're in mm. a restaurant or on a ferry uh, yeah. or, or something, which we've uh, been a lot of, you're like, Shh, <laughs> no one else wants to hear this noise. Oh dear. Oh dear, Cass. Well, it's been a very interesting chat today. Wow, we've covered everything, you know, right across the gambit. So very interesting and really good catch up. And we look forward to hearing from you next week when Max is 23 weeks old. Can you believe? Yeah, perfect. Thank you so much. (laughs) Excellent, Cass. Have a good day. You too. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Thanks to everyone who joined us. We will see you the same time next week. Until then, download ParentSense app and take the guesswork out of parenting.